Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome to another episode of White Sox Daily. My name is Ian Eskridge, and this is kind of a special episode, as I was lucky enough to be joined by the voice of the Birmingham Barons, Kurt Bloom. Kurt was gracious enough to tell me about his beginnings in the broadcasting industry. He also let me in on some of his favorite players that he's had in his 30 years in Birmingham. Man gives a great interview. Go ahead and take a listen. Thanks. How you doing, Kurt? Ian, great. Thank you. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for taking the time out of your uh, busy schedule to join in today. It depends on what day of the week it is, how busy I am. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I guess Mondays are probably uh, probably the greatest. Now. Yeah, yeah. That you got uh, guaranteed day off on Monday every week. Strange. You know, for the players, uh, it's a great schedule. They, they go Tuesday through Sunday. Sunday's a, uh, a day game and then Monday off. You know, I've never had a schedule like that. Unfortunately, a shorter version is that I'm not traveling this year, so I'm not getting to enjoy that part of it. Um, but that being said, every Monday it's, you know, locked in. Do some family stuff, barbecue, go outside, enjoy the pool, whatever you need to do. So you actually do take Mondays off then, or do you, uh, do you go oh, completely? Your- yeah. Yeah. Nice. I'm at a point now that, that completely, that there's no going into the ballpark. There's no tarp. There's no meeting, anything along those lines. Yep. That's, that's fantastic. Actually fantastic to actually have a day off. Uh, I come from uh live audio world, uh, doing concerts and stuff. And it's like, there's never any guaranteed yeah. time off for anything. So um, so let's go ahead and start from uh, the beginnings of uh, Kurt Bloom. Um, so you come from New York and you uh, went to school at UNC Greensboro and mm-hmm. uh, got your uh, broadcasting degree there. Um, so uh, I was reading uh, on your, your bio that you actually did go to the winter meetings and got your first job from the winter meetings. Is that, uh, is that accurate? Yeah, it is. And, and Ian, I would have written a book, um, but somebody already wrote a book um, because it's, it's quite an experience, uh, nerves, tense, anxiety. But I would think anybody of, uh, of my, you know, let's say 35 and above, that's how we got our jobs. You know, now it's a little bit, def- a little bit different. And, you know, Joe Davis, um, didn't have to go to winter meetings, but you know, it, it doesn't mean he didn't hustle, but back then that was the hustle. That's how we got wherever we needed to go. Um, I'll always be thankful. The memories I'll always cherish. Um, you know, it's like yesterday, these guys in, um, uh, Dallas, Texas, we were in a hotel there and the would be GM, the would be AGM. They said, we haven't had anybody like you that just constantly calls and stays in touch and, Look, you're coming 3,000 miles away, so here's what we can do. Um, We want you to be the administrative assistant concessions manager when the team's at home, uh, and then when the team's on the road, we'll put you on a bus. And I said what anybody else would say, when do I start? You know, So that's how it all began, and I had been at the winter meetings a couple years uh, before, and then once you get a job, uh, you go back and you look for a bigger job and a higher job and, you know, whatever else. So I probably went, if there was one point, I would say about 10, 12, 15 years in a row. Um, and it look, it's as much fun as it is work, uh, but it's as much work as it is fun. I think that's a good way of putting it. 
Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I've heard uh, a couple of stories uh, from broadcasters where, you know, they ended up going to the winter meetings to to get their job. And it just seems like a, you know, like a, a really bizarre way to uh, mm-hmm. to have to, you know, jump through some hoops to, to get your job is to have to drive all the way out to wherever they're holding the winter meetings that particular year. Um, so you ended up, uh, starting with the, uh, what is it? Baker, Bakersfield Dodgers. They were the Dodgers, Bakersfield Dodgers. Yep. So you have to leave your house and drive 3000 miles away to go get your, your first, uh, your first, That's exactly, exactly what I did. My first taste of California. Um, it was, uh, again, you know, you, you have to, I think you have to appreciate those days, um, and understand those days to figure out where I'm at right now. And, to go 3000 miles in a, in a used broken down car um, at the end of the season, that car could not make it back home. So I had to sell it out there. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Um, it, it, it's just, uh, it was a dream, you know, and, and it still is to be honest with you. And, and I'm one of the lucky ones, not one of the unlucky ones. And I would have chased that if they said our, our uh, jobs in Alaska, Hawaii, Idaho, Montana, whatever. It just happened to be the first one that said yes is Bakersfield. Um, I, I get asked a, a little bit about um, you know what what players were on there. Um, my um, most famous alum from the team that I broadcast was a guy who had a nice big league career. Uh, Jose Vizcaino was a shortstop and and had a nice about 10, 12 year career. Uh, but the name player, the reason I bring it up, the name player in the league with the San Bernardino spirit is a guy by the name of Ken Griffey Jr. And so I got to see him. He was 19 years old playing center field for San Bernardino. Um, and, and it's a, it's another sidebar story. My first game that I ever broadcast, I messed up a call. Either he doubled and it was a homer or it was a homer and it was actually a double one of those two. And I, I mixed, I'm mixed it up and uh but but the name alone you know brings value to that league yeah i you know i i I watch uh a ton of minor league baseball so i get to hear calls from all sorts of people that uh you know most people don't get to hear so i mean and, and you know also with the you know like you said with the way the uh the covid protocols are going for this year is that a lot of people are forced to watch you know an milb tv for right you know, and try and call a game that way. And it's, uh, you know, you hear all sorts of things where they're like, you know, like even John Sterling the other day, I think uh, yes. with the, with the Yankees, he was, uh, he, he called something and uh, ended up being a replay of, a, of a Aaron judge home run. And he was right. calling it like, it was a normal thing. He's like, Oh yeah, that was a nice home run, but it was a replay. And it's just like the, the absurdity of the, the whole thing, you know, it, it's really putting people at a disadvantage for, uh, you know, for the season. Um, so, you uh, finish your your season with the the Bakersfield Dodgers, and um, th- they thought that you might have a uh, a future in the in the front office. Is that uh, yeah? Correct? Yeah, they both offered me because the AGM was on his way to run the Reno Club. Mm-hmm. His father and him had bought the Reno Club, so they both said to me, my GM and my AGM, uh, who was leaving, they said, you know, forget this broadcasting thing. Um, you're never going to make it. It's too hard, too difficult. You know, we'll start you off with salary benefits. Um, you'd be my AGM. And both Bakersfield and Reno offered it to me. 
Uh, you know, and it took me, it, it, it didn't even take me time, uh, a split second to think about. It. There was no thought. It was like, guys, I really appreciate it, but I'm going home and I'm trying to get me another job in broadcasting. That, you know, that's what I was born to do. Um, and, and to this day, uh, you never forget them and forget the opportunity that they gave me. So when I get to the big leagues, you know, I want to mention their names one day to say, hey, thanks. Um, I laugh because, again, you know, if I had chosen that path, uh, you would be talking to somebody different right now. And, and you know, who knows? I might be the, uh, you know, the, the, the farm director for the Yankees, the assistant GM of the Marlins, whatever. But, no, I'm, I'm happy just to be the radio guy for the Barons. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, you've uh, you've been with the Barons for uh, uh, for what, 30? 30. 30. This years? is number 30. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you left there and then you ended up uh, in uh, actually kind of close to where I used to live. You were at the uh, Prince William Cannons yep. uh, for how many how many seasons were you there? Two years there. And what made that exciting, Ian, if you talk to any broadcaster in the world um, about their favorite team and, and being able to work in that organization, they were the Yankees. And I grew up in New York, a big Yankee fan. So it was just uh, on cloud nine for two years you really didn't care about anything except, wow, that's the, you know, well, I'll be watching him in, in Yankee Stadium and that guy and that guy and that guy. Um, what was really cool, we got a ring out of it um, our first year, 89. And um, uh, interesting story that uh, the, the, the uh, Yankees fired the manager that we had and brought in the legendary Stump Merrill. And um, that name will ring ring some bells, but Stump managed us and we won the championship. We beat a good Durham Bulls team um, at that time. And then uh, the following year, 1990, uh, another year in Prince William, I thought 91, I was going back, but late in what would be our off season, probably January, February, the Huntsville job opened up and I knew a few people that knew a few people, which is how you get jobs. And I was extremely fortunate to get that. And I mentioned that because to me, as a radio guy, just like a player, that is absolutely the hardest jump to make. Uh, remember, you get reduced from uh, each club had at least three A-ball clubs. And then prior to the pandemic, you had rookie clubs. But remember, there's only one double A. So that was a huge, huge break to get from Prince William to Huntsville. That was my first experience in Alabama. Uh, and then after that season, lo and behold, another break, the Birmingham guy, he rolled the dice. It was his story. He wanted to go somewhere else to try to get to the big leagues. So I called the people in Birmingham and said, look, you know, I, I, I'm in the league already instead of me. Um, sending you a tape and a resume. Why don't I just drive down and, and meet with you? And that was uh, really all it took. I was very lucky. They were in a, in a transition period. A new president came in. He saw that I was able to sell advertising, which was huge. And um, that, uh, that began what is now uh, a 30-year stretch. Yeah, so you end up in uh, Birmingham uh, in 92. Is that 92, yep. So... Um, Obviously, I have to ask. Um, what happened in '94? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of uh, you know, as a as a White Sox fan uh, uh -huh. since, since birth, and uh, obviously, I was a you know a Bulls fan as well. Um, 
you get Michael Jordan showing up in uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. So yeah, uh, how how was your experience with that? Well, I can take you back to the the few days leading up to it, and, and which which was nothing but pure speculation and rumor. Um, and I'm proud to say uh, that I never believed it would happen. Um, you know, I I can look back on it now, and I was absolutely said and, and uh, not set against it, but more importantly, my mind was telling me this guy. The world's most famous athlete, forget basketball player, but athlete, yeah. he is not getting off a plane, coming to Birmingham, technically Hoover, Alabama, to play baseball at 33, 34 years old. It's, it, it, you know, you're, you're writing movies here. This is not going to happen. And like anything else, you learn that Michael's great at proving you wrong. You know, so um, it did happen. And uh, it, it was just every day, every day was surreal. It was uh, one of those, you know, you look around the corner, is someone filming this? Is this really, really happening? And, and I remind everybody that in 1994, we had no, no such things as cell phone, social media, um, anything at all that could have exposed um, we have very little photos, very few videos. It's not like 30 years later where we could record. Somebody asked me, I, I did a, a, a filled in on a radio show here in Birmingham, and, and inevitably that question comes up, and it's part of my life. But the most important thing is that I've got everything here. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, you ask me something or ask me for an anecdote, um, tell a story, or, you know, instead of showing you my trophy room here, and uh, jerseys and all that, more importantly, the memories that I have from here to here uh, will last a lifetime. And I, I do tell myself I need to put that stuff down in writing and uh, put it in audio so I can maintain it. But Ian, it's a year that we'll never forget. And I, and I always say this too, I want everybody to understand that Michael treated everybody, everybody with a tremendous amount of respect. He truly enjoyed Birmingham. He enjoyed his teammates, uh, treated me with a lot of respect. And um, I have nothing, nothing but great memories, fond memories, a couple chuckles, stories we can't tell, stories we can tell. And, uh, you know, it's a once in a once in a lifetime thing. I mean, you know, growing up as a, you know, as a teenager and then seeing seeing this stuff happening. Um, and of course, you know, like you said, there's no uh, there's no Internet. There's no nothing. You, right. know, like you just get right. like little tidbits that you, you know, you would hear on the radio or, you know. Grainy footage. Yeah. Grainy YouTube footage. Lucky if you saw, you know, something on TV, you know, at mm -hmm. all about anything, you know, just, you know, right. you only see stuff in the newspapers. And, uh, you know, I went back and uh, went to uh, KurtBloom.com, a little plug there for you. Um, there's a bunch of interviews and stuff that are on on your site. And uh, I went back and listened to your interview with, uh, with Michael. And uh, it's just... Uh, really interesting like snapshot you know just mm -hmm. weird weird thing in time you know where you can't find anything like that anywhere else and to be able to to go to your site and be able to hear that in the interview with uh you know what uh, actually when charles barkley hopped on you know mm -hmm. on the radio with you it's it's just uh you know really really great stuff to uh go back and listen to you know <laughs> what 30 years later now almost well in know. the last dance brought all that back in vogue. Um, we kind of stayed idle for a while, all of us involved in the Jordan year of 94, but then the last dance comes out. Not only that, remember that the last dance hit during a pandemic. There was no programming. Uh, we 
the barons of 1994, it was just like it was yesterday for us. We were back in the news again. Um, I think it was episode seven with George Kohler. And that's the one they went into baseball. And you see the, the highlights and uh, ESPN took their, their stuff and a little audio, a little bit of audio of mine. But the last dance kind of rekindled it, renewed it. Uh, you know, and, and going and preparing myself for the last dance, you know, you realize again, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very, very lucky. I've got that vault, as you mentioned, you know, um, that website that you mentioned, which I appreciate is actually under construction. The new one is going to have uh, a complete page and um, video, audio and everything dedicated to, to that year. But um, it, it was something that we, after being dormant, Boom, we're right back. That that um week of the of the last dance, I, I got a list somewhere here. Um, I did approximately 15 interviews in every major city, um, including uh over in Australia. But there's a guy that follows and loves NBA basketball, Jordan's his idol. He found out about it, and so I zoomed um on his stuff as well. So we were you know, back in the news again. And and I think the most important thing, like I said, to remember is that although I, and I've got that vault that you saw and got some interviews and games and hits and all that stuff, most of it is still here. Um, and that's where I want to keep it. That That's where right now that's the best place uh, to store it. You know, that that's it. Because I also, there's a big part of me I don't want to exploit. Um, there's a there's a fine fine, fine line. Only if you're in my position, um, will you understand that fine line? Okay. There's a lot of things involved and um, uh, what stays in the locker room and all that kind of stuff that you heard about what gets in the locker room stays in the locker room. And there's a lot of other people that I'm still friends with. And I spoke to George Kohler a lot um, and you build trust, you know, that that's important um, is to keep and build that trust. So that that's, you know, that's where I'm at with all that. It will always be a part of my life. I have absolutely the most fun talking about it. I never get old. It, it never gets old. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, for, for being, uh, what your second season in Birmingham, that was, uh, quite the, uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, just the thing to walk into, you know, like you have absolutely no idea that that kind of things coming, you know, mm -hmm. when you accept the job. So, I mean, it's just a really awesome circumstance that, uh, that you just happen to be there for. And that's a really, really unique experience. Uh, you know, as speaking of, you know, the guy from Australia, I was actually, I was talking to a friend from New Zealand, uh, late last night. And uh, I told him that, uh, I was interviewing you and, and he, and I was like, yeah, he was there for, uh, Michael Jordan in uh, 94. And he's like, Oh man, you know, he's just started going off about, uh, you know, Michael ask him Jordan. this, ask him that Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to, uh, ask you was, is, is 94. Is that, is that your, uh, your favorite season that you've had? in Birmingham or is there uh, another season that sticks out to you? Well, I don't think I've ever quite had it asked that way. Um, 94. I also had a child. My first girl was uh, born first of two. So how can I, you know, not mention that. Uh, the second thing is that year wasn't so much 
about baseball. Uh, that year was about, can we keep it together? Can we keep the band together without anything major happening and putting us in the news for the wrong reason? Um, what, you have championship years. I mean, those are great. And um, I had a team. It, it, it's funny because I was talking to one of my guys from the 93 team, uh, a shortstop by the name of Brandon Wilson, who at one point was a a real big prospect with White Sox and uh, Brandon never made to big leagues, but uh, got as far as triple A had a nice career there, blah, blah, blah. But um, we were talking about that year. And remember I was also only about two or three years older than that team. Okay. Now my team, I'm 30 years older, but then I was so, uh, you know, whatever, 26, 27, 28, and they were 24, 25. So it was, we had an incredible bond that year, that 93. We also won the championship. Terry Francona, Tito, one of my mentors was our manager. Um, So I I would rank, if I had to, I'd rank 93 um, because of the characters and the fact that we were an underdog team and and won. We beat a great, great um, Knoxville Smokies team that had Sean Green and uh, they had um, Carlos Delgado. Uh, they had five or six big leaguers, and our Barons beat them for the championship. It was our, it was our first in, in a long time, and that year meant uh, a whole lot. 94 was not about wins and losses. You know, can we keep our composure? Um, who's coming to the game? Um, I saw that one. I saw that one. I got an autograph. I got a picture with that, you know, all that kind of stuff, so... Um, I, I can't say it was my favorite. Um, it was most memorable. I think there's a difference. Yeah, no, fair enough. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine, uh, the, the, the sideshow, you know, right. and just like the, everybody's coming out, you know, everybody right. from everywhere probably is, you know, a calling you, you know, if they know mm-hmm. you and they're there, like, can I, can I get tickets? I, I've yeah. that one a hundred times. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I can only imagine just the the uh, additional security being everywhere. Yeah, that's true. Everything just being a, a total uh, <laughs> putting everything on its ear as a strange season. Um, so throughout the uh, throughout the years, I assume that you have uh, a collection of favorite players that you got to see with the Barons. Um, do you have like a, a a top five list, top three list, something along those lines? Yeah, and I decided a, a long time ago that when I get asked that question, I have to come up with an answer instead of like, well, they're all my favorite or I enjoyed yeah. all of them. No, there's, there's certainly more you root for. My all-time favorite for many reasons is my camera. Um, and it was as much as how um, – I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word uh, – not subtle, but he didn't – realize how great of an athlete, how great of a player he would become. Um, But watching him, we had a year and a half. And by his second year, somewhere in 96, I think it was, I mean, he was one of the most dominant players in all of minor league baseball. You look up the numbers that he put up there. I think he he just about had a 30-30 season, which was unheard of in the minor leagues. Um, but he was so shy about it and just had that incredible smile, um, just humble, very, very humble about his talents. And, uh, and, and you can see 
uh, one of those just once in a decade athletes, you know, just in pure athlete who the White Sox made a great draft choice. They didn't know if he could play baseball, but it turned into it now. And, and Mike's in the, in the Barons Hall of Fame. Um, if you see him today, you would think undoubtedly he could put on a uniform and play as good as center field and, and get you some good at bats as anybody still playing the game. Um, there's another guy in Chicago uh, right now who is one of my all-time favorites, and that's Ron Coomer. Um, Ron Coomer, again, was a leader, was an incredible clubhouse leader by the time he had come to the White Sox and the Barons. Interestingly enough, he made his big league career after he left the Barons and the White Sox. Uh, nice time with the uh, Twins and the Dodgers. And what made him, first of all, that big, deep Chicago accent was, you know, really a thrill because he's from there. And we were, and this is again in the 90s, but we were Bruce Springsteen buddies. And we could talk on the bus for three hours about Springsteen. And so that was our, our bond. And Ron certainly, certainly was an underdog, um, a smaller guy knee surgery, wasn't supposed to be as good as he was. And those two, um, off the top of my head, there are recent guys, of course, um, that I loved as players, but more importantly, off the field, great character guys, Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert treated us very well, Mike Kopech uh, treated us very well, uh, um, uh, uh, Nick Madrigal, Th those are the recent ones that were all coming through. They were all really, really down to earth, great interview subjects. Um, you know, and, and again, as we, we answer the question, and sometimes it's the guys in the minor leagues who don't make it that become some of your favorite players. They don't have to be MVPs and Cy Youngs and things like that. Um, you know, Chris Bryant was on the Tennessee Smokies and he was so incredible and, and, and a lot of hype around him. He did the post-game show with me at our place a few times, and he was great. Just absolutely couldn't be more cordial. So you get to like guys like that. Yeah, uh, he seems like a like a really nice down-to-earth guy. He, he, he very much is. Yeah. Very much is. Um, so winding down here, um, so this season, uh, the Barons have been having a really nice season this year. Mm -hmm. um, you've seen a lot of offense. Um They've, uh, you know, last couple of weeks have uh, kind of slowed down a little bit, but uh, they came out of the gates really, really hot. Um, uh, how do you, how are you feeling about this season? How are you thinking uh, things are going to kind of go here as uh, the season goes on? The Barons got off to a great start because it's a veteran club and that allowed them to not be nervous about not playing ball in over a year. Uh, that allowed them mentally and physically. They just said, look, you know, I looked around the locker room. We don't have a lot of prospects. We don't have a lot of 40-man guys. Um, the best thing we could do is win. And we had two really good leaders on the field, Zach Granite, who just retired yesterday. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, news, newsflash. Um, and wow. then uh, Tyquan uh, Forbes, um, who is now up in AAA. They were leaders, clubhouse leaders, the guys that kept everybody loose. So you have guys like that, and you have guys that have been at this level before. Um, a lot of the teams are, are using guys literally that were in rookie ball, that were in low A. So we had an experienced team, allowed us to get off to a really, really solid start. 
Um, Mike Rodolfo is, remember, he hasn't played a full season in four years. Now, he is flashing. Uh, just look at the daily highlights. He's flashing the power and the skill set that had him on the same path as Jimenez and Robert until the injuries knocked him down. But he's putting together, undoubtedly, his breakout year, his breakthrough year. Um, everything, we can go on and on and on, but everything will and always comes back to pitching. And on the nights when the Barons get good pitching, the hitting will, will carry them through. Um, you, you got a guy like Romy Gonzalez, I've been telling media, uh, the, the, the two surprise guys to look at are Romy Gonzalez and Craig Didolo. Um, they knew, the Sox knew that both of them would be okay and, and pre, be pretty decent, but I don't think they anticipated their numbers halfway through this first season yeah. here would be that good. And, and Romy is back on another wild hitting streak. Um, just can't get him out. He's got such a beautiful swing, wonderful athlete. And Didolo is a guy, you look at his power numbers, and he's been there for a couple of years, just not a lot, but a few. Uh, but it's the batting average. He, for most of the year, was hitting around 275, 285. A little bit of a slump, as one can imagine. But um, coming out of it and uh, a couple home runs recently in Biloxi, those are two, the two guys that are, uh, you know, we're having a normal season under the radar who have put themselves. You cannot find either one of them on any MLB pipeline, Baseball America, you name the, the site. They're nowhere in sight. Yeah. Uh, Romy Gonzalez, uh, the, the first couple of weeks just watching him oh, go off and you know, he got, he ended up getting hit in the hand with a, with a pitch and kind of derailed him for a little bit. But, you know, uh, I think yesterday you said something, he was hitting something around like four seventy five in his last 10 games or something. Right. Along those right. Lines. right. Mean, three more hits yesterday, three hits, a home run. It, the great thing. Let me just real quickly jump in the hits uh, for those listening last night. Uh, one was the first one was to right. The second one was to center and the home run was to left. I mean that that's that's impressive. Yeah, he's definitely got a, a unique skill set. I mean, especially for you know, uh, and I think he was, he was when when they drafted him. I think they drafted him as a second baseman. Uh, yeah, a second, and you know what? I think he played a, a bunch of outfield at Miami as well. Yeah, yeah and he you played know, so, outfield for uh, Canapolis as well. So, right, right. yeah, it's just he's been all over the field. He uh, continues to play. And, you know, like you said, I can't imagine, uh, you know, I, I was watching him when he was at, at, at Canapolis and uh, like I thought he was pretty decent and I thought he looked but, like, he, like a player. But, uh, you know, yeah. between him and Didolo, like what they've been doing this year and especially in Birmingham, where usually, right. you know, the power numbers go to die. So seeing the the power surge that the that they've had this year is uh it's a really you know pleasant development from from my side of things you know where I'm just watching the games you know mm-hmm. you know analyzing things at home but uh you know it's just a, a really great uh development to see just the and obviously Mike Rodolfo as well I mean he was tied you know up until last night tied for uh, the lead in home runs for a little while and uh, well it was about two innings <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh yeah but i mean also you know tops in the in the uh the leads league in RBIs. RBIs. Yeah. yeah so i mean it, 
seeing like the development for him, especially, you know, uh, I ran into him here at uh, what they call the uh, the White Sox prom, which is like the uh, they have like a bunch of the prospects and the players come uh, to season ticket holder event oh, and, nice. uh, before the season. And uh, I ran into that guy and I was just like <laughs> looking at the guy's arms and I'm just like, Holy yeah, cow, that guy can hit a baseball like I, I, with those arms. I have no idea how. But I mean, you know, this is uh, he ended up having Tommy John after that. And, uh, seeing him come back and, um, you know, like the, the, the hit and miss, there's some hit and the miss in the, in the swing there, but, you know, seeing him come back and, you know, putting up nice numbers is really, uh, great for, you know, on a personal level for him. I I feel great for him seeing what he's been through. Um, and, uh, yeah, he's also, um, and you know, he's, he's an incredibly smart kid, um, it's a great story. He was actually born and raised in uh, the Virgin Islands. So his first language is English. Then he moved at 16 over to the Dominican. And so he speaks fluent English and fluent Spanish. There's no dialect at all that you can detect. He's got the massive body and a smile to match his smile. I finally remember us broadcasters were not allowed on the field up until about a week ago. Um, and I finally got on the field. I said, I got one question. I said, how does it feel after four years to, to be healthy? Forget the numbers, just to be healthy. And he said, man, it feels great. And he was you know, lit up like it was like, I'm just so blessed to be back on the field. Uh, and if he keeps this up, if he keeps this up, he'll join his buddies, uh, you know, Eloy and, and Luis and, and uh, Micah was supposed to be the three amigos, and uh, if, if he continues, I think certainly he would benefit. Um, he's got to see some triple A pitching before he gets to the big leagues. Yeah, I think it would definitely, uh, you know, help him out a lot to be able to see some of those uh, journeyman pitchers that have those right. uh, advanced right. arsenals in good control, you good know, point. as opposed to, you know, just uh, the, you know, top end prospect guys, you know, they're throwing mm-hmm. 100 miles an hour and, you know, their control might be a little bit wonky. I really appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to hang out today and talk to me and, uh, walk me through, uh, a, a day in the life of, uh, Kurt Bloom and through the, uh, the rest of your career. Um, man, I appreciate that. That's awfully nice of you to say that. And, um, you know, I learned a lesson a little while ago to, to give back. I've been taught by great people how to give back and, uh, Terry Francona, one of my mentors. And, uh, if, if I can pick up a phone in five seconds and get a call from him, uh, then who am I to say no? Um, I love promoting. I love talking um, as much as anything else. And I'm just blessed. I am uh, the Lou Gehrig of uh, broadcasters, the luckiest man on the face. So uh, I, I thank you for this opportunity. Wish you uh, great health and have a wonderful rest of the season. And, and say, as always, if there's anything more I can do, you'll get in touch and let me know. All right. Great. Thanks, Kurt. I appreciate everything. And uh, you have a uh, good rest of the season. Um, touch base here shoot you a message later on in the season love to hear it all right